Well, happy Father's Day to all the fathers here. Uh, as fathers, we have the opportunity to reflect the character of God to our kids. For better or worse, our children form their understanding and their ideas of who God is by watching us. So the question this morning for us fathers is how are we doing reflecting that character of God? Uh, I, I want to tell you I have a um, guilty confession or a guilty pleasure uh, that I enjoy. I enjoy a good impression uh, by people. And the ultimate of impressions now is the deep fake. And I'm sure some of you are familiar with deepfake and some of you are like, what in the world is that? Deepfake is basically, it's a synthetic image. It's taking real images and some real audio sometimes, and it's combining it with something that is completely made up. And so you'll see these deep fakes of like Nicolas Cage doing things that Nicolas Cage never really actually did, but it looks and it sounds just like Nicolas Cage. And I think, to, to me, the ultimate, uh, the ultimate example of this is our good friend Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, here seen as Maria Von Trapp. Uh, this is just, I, I have, I, in preparation for this message, I watched this many times. And I laughed many times. And I, I, I didn't want to throw the loop of putting the video on there, so I'm just going to play it here. Isn't that just lovely? I just love it. I love it. Arnold Schwarzenegger as Maria Von Trapp, right? Two completely different kinds of characters. Obviously, that is completely made up. But it looks like Arnold, and there's actually the video. It, It goes with it. And it looks like Arnold. It sounds like Arnold. And it's hilarious when it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. But it's very scary if it becomes somebody with some actual authority. And that's one of the big fears of deep fake is that you can actually make, you know, not just Arnold Schwarzenegger, but a governor or a presidential candidate say and do things that they never said or did. Can you imagine the harm that it would cause if some deep fake was created of, say, a president or a prime minister who is declaring war on another nation? Can you imagine the damage that that would cause? So deep fake can be hilarious, but it can also be very scary. And the the principle is this, the greater the authority that one has, the one who's being misrepresented, the greater authority that that person has, the greater potential for harm. The, The more power that the one who is being falsely characterized has, the more potential there is for damage. So how important is it then for us as parents who are called to represent God to our children? How important is it for us to get that right? Because for better or worse, our children form their ideas of who God is by watching us. So throughout Scripture, but especially in the New Testament, God is revealed by one particular primary word. He is the creator. He is the ruler. But the one 
word that Jesus uses to reveal who God is over and over again is Father. And what we see in the New Testament is that before creation, before you and I ever stepped onto this planet, before there was a planet to step on, there was a father who is perfectly loving a son. A father perfectly loving a son through the Spirit. You've got this community who is God, Father, Son, and Spirit loving one another. And this love overflows into creation. And so out of an overflow of love, God creates everything. And that's why you and I are here. But what I want us to do this morning as we're looking at the character of God and reflecting that accurately. This is not just a message just for fathers. It's for all parents. And it's really for all people. Because, see, I think that our biggest impediment to accurately reflecting the character of God to our children is that we don't actually have a very accurate view of God. The problem is, your problem and and my problem, I know, is that we tend to, as soon as we start talking about God, we all assume that we're talking about the same God. Even in a church like this, we're talking about the the God of the Bible, and a, a lot of us have known each other for a long time, but even in this church... If we asked, what is, what, how would you define God? We'd probably get a whole lot of different answers. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to, to not look at how would you describe God, but let's look at how God describes himself. What does he have to say about this? I remember when I was uh, a youth leader here many, many years ago, uh, right in this very room, uh, we would do games, and I would uh, start talking about what the game was going to be. I'd say, okay, we're playing this game, and I'd start explaining the rules, and Austin was one of these uh, precocious young men who, in this group, we would, uh, I'd start saying, this is what the game is going to be, and the kids, half the kids would be like, oh, I already know that game, okay, whatever, they'd tune out, and they'd start talking to one another. And uh, I was notoriously bad at explaining the game, like the point and the rules and all this kind of stuff, but as I'm laboring on and on, and sorry you're stuck with me for like a half an hour this morning, but as I'm laboring on and on describing this game, the kids aren't listening, and so we, but we start the game, and the kids are starting to play the game the wrong way. It's because they assumed they knew what we were going to do. They just assumed they knew. And here's the, here's the principle, and this is for everybody this morning. When we think about God, we often have a few observations and a lot of assumptions. A lot of us, some of us have, have got more observations than others, but wherever we don't know exactly how things would fit, we just fill in the blank. We just figure it out ourselves. We make a lot of assumptions. I love this quote by Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly. He says this, The fall, and that's where sin entered the world through Adam, where sin first entered the world. The fall entrenched in our minds dark thoughts of God, thoughts that are only dug out over multiple exposures to the gospel for many years. Perhaps, check this, perhaps Satan's greatest victory in your life today is not the sin in which you regularly indulge, but the dark thoughts of God's heart that cause you to go there in the first place and cool you toward him in the wake of it. So this morning, I want us to all start off on the same page. 
We're going to look at Psalm 103, which is I, many of our favorite psalms. And if, if you've got a Bible, I'd love to invite you to open to Psalm 103. But as we do so, let's see what God has to say about himself. This, this is God's word. Let's let God define himself. Okay? Uh, so as we start out, we are going to camp out for a little while here in verse 8. We're going to be specifically looking at Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14. But we're going to camp out for just a good while in verse 8. And then everything else is going to kind of flow after that. This has been called the, the fundamental confession of God's character in the Scripture. It's, it's the genetic code of who God is. It says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This harkens back to Exodus chapter 34. And maybe some of you, if you're on a Bible read through this year, you've, you've read that before. But Exodus 34 is an amazing portion of scripture because something very unique happens there. So you remember, it, the book of Exodus is about the children of Israel being freed from slavery. They're, you know, they've been slaves for 400 years. They are freed miraculously by God's power. They escape slavery. They go out and God is saying, I want you to be my special people. You're going to be my people. And these are the things I want you to do to show others that you are my people. And Moses goes up onto the mountain to meet with the Lord. He's going up to meet with God and he says, God, would you just show me your glory? Would you just show me what are you like? Who are you? And God says, yes, I will show you my glory. And check this out. This is God saying, I want to tell you something about me. Here it is. This verse 8 is a quote from Psalm 34. So let me ask you this. If you were thinking about God's glory, God, if, if you were to ask God to show you what he is, how do you think you would define God? How, what do you think he would say? See, I would expect God to get up and to flex his muscles. This is how powerful I am. This is how strong I am. I am so much higher than you. Is God strong? Absolutely. Is God powerful? Is he smarter than us? Yes. But I expect God to be up there, basically a stronger, more proud version of me. Just an inflated Dan. But here we see, that's not the image that we're talking about. We're going to look at what does God say who does God say that he is? And when Moses asked him to show him his glory, the first thing that he says is this. He says, Yahweh. Lord, show me your glory. Sing your own song. Tell me about yourself. God doesn't list out an attribute. The first thing that he gives is he gives his name. Yahweh. I'm Yahweh. What does that say about a God who tells you his name. It's a God who wants to be known. It's a God who wants you to know him. And his first description is this. He is merciful and gracious. And he's slow to anger. Many of us think of God as just bursting with anger. 
And for many of us dads, this is the take-home message for us today. That we often poorly reflect a God who is slow to anger because many of us dads, if we're honest, we're quick to anger. Too many of us dads are trying to change our kids through our anger. And that anger can take many forms. It can be your intensity. It can be shame. It can be outbursts. It can be just rejection. What are these things telling our kids about God? James 1 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and what? Slow to anger. And why? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I confess that this morning, I am not here preaching this message because I'm an expert in this. I am not a graduate of Grace University. But I, God is at work in me, in this. There's a place to be angry, and we're going to dwell on this idea of anger for just a moment. Uh, I, I, one of the most helpful books that I've ever read on anger is by David Paulison, and it's called Good and Angry. And if any of you dads, moms, uh, kids, grandparents, anybody struggling with anger, this isn't particularly a parenting book, but it is a fantastic book on what is a biblical view of anger. What does good anger look like? And Paulison calls it the constructive displeasure of mercy. And he gives these four keys to the constructive displeasure of mercy. Number one is patience. That's enduring wrong for the benefit of another over time. This is how God is toward us. It's not passivity, but it's also not these angry outbursts. It means you're willing to work with wrong over time, purposefully and constructively. It's what happens when your child sins over and over and over again. How do you react to it? With patience, you are willing to work with your child through their difficulty for their benefit. The way I think of it is like this. This is not Paulison. This is Hickman again. The way I think of it is like this. So often in my parenting, I am trying to hit a home run. Uh, that something happens and I'm, I've got to confront something that's wrong with one of my kids. And so, man, in this conversation, it's going to be a home run. I'm swinging for the fences. Or sometimes it's through my displeasure with what they've done. I'm going to show them I'm so mad at this because this is so bad. And I'm expecting that this is going to make all the difference in the world. And I'm swinging for the fences, trying to hit a home run, and I strike out. And parents, what patience looks like, the way that God is patient toward us, is just try to get on base. Just get on base. So it's it's rather than saying, you know, child, you're at like a 5 out of 55, and I'm just going to beat you up for not being a 55. It means saying, you're a 5, let's get to 6. And working with that over time, oh my goodness, I, I don't know if... 
for any of you dads, that was the message for me. That was that was it. Patience. Well, actually, there's a whole lot more here. Um, but man, this has been so convicting for me. The next uh, key is forgiveness. The willingness to not get even. It's not pretending that there wasn't a wrong and it's not excusing the wrong. It feels the weight of that wrong and it removes the personal debt that was owed. Too many of us, I know I do, take our kids' sin personally. Like they're sinning primarily against us. But that's the wrong focus. If we teach our kids to just not anger us, have we really reflected accurately the character of God? Because the focus, dads, ought to be on the kids' sin against God. Because that's where they need to change. We let our annoyance, or I let my annoyance, get in the way of God's work in my kids. And honestly, this would change a lot of things for us. This would change a lot of families. If dads, we would be honest and forgive our children. It would change a lot. And maybe the most powerful thing, dads, that you can do today for your children is to forgive them and to repent of your attitude toward your kids. The next one is grace. I know we're still on verse 8 out of like 9, but uh, we're going we're gonna to cruise through the rest. But the grace, la- second to last one is grace. Jesus said this, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that, why? Check this. Why do we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. That's what God is like. He loves his enemies. If God didn't love his enemies, he wouldn't love us. Praise God that God loves his enemies. Dads, how are we doing at reflecting that to our kids? Paulison goes on, he says this, Anger grips a wrong tightly. It points it out, it prosecutes it, it punishes it. But mercy and grace acts generously toward a wrongdoer. Rather than claiming your pound of flesh. Anger thinks this way. I've been wronged, so I will deal out fair and just punishment to the malefactor. But generosity, like patience and forgiveness, is unfair. You treat with purposeful kindness someone who treated you or others badly. Now, if we have... If we are armed with patience, forgiveness, and grace, then we are ready for what Paulison says is the fourth step of the constructive displeasure of mercy, and that's constructive conflict. That's confronting to redeem, not to condemn. It's to judge without being judgmental. It says, I see that wrong. Now let's get to work on it. Here's some of his keys. He says in constructive conflict, Instead of attacking, we're rebuking. Instead of criticizing, we're reproving. We're showing what's wrong and and, and what the right way to walk in is. Instead of accusing, we're admonishing. Instead of moralizing, we're exhorting. Instead of condemning, we're confronting. And instead of threatening, 
were warning. What you sow, you will reap. God's mercy is not niceness. His mercy isn't blanket acceptance of any and all. Mercy to us costs him the blood of the lamb. That's Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And mercy comes to us at the cost of our sins and pride. His kindness is an open invitation to turn to him in repentance and faith, to come to him in our need for mercies freely offered and our trust in mercies freely given. But a hard, impenitent heart rejects the offer. It goes its own way and will experience the fair consequences. God is abounding in steadfast love. We've looked at anger for a while. He's slow to anger. But he's abounding in steadfast love. His anger takes a lot to rouse. But I love how, I think it was Piper who put it this way, but his love has a hair trigger. Scripture says several places that God has to be provoked to anger, but it never once talked about him having to be provoked to love. God here is defining himself for us. He's giving us what the perfection of the idea of father is. Now our question is, how are we reflecting that? How are we thinking about God? Are we thinking rightly about God? Because how we think about God affects everything in our lives, every relationship. So let me ask you this. We've just looked at that first verse, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Dads, how would your kids define you? Would it be something like that? Let's keep looking at Scripture and see as God continues to show us who He is. And we're going to cruise through this last little bit. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. I have to be honest, I've read Psalm 103 for many, many years and had no idea what chide is. I thought it was something that goes with sour cream maybe and chips. Um, and I was like, I don't, I don't understand that as like a bitter thing. But to chide is to berate or to scold. Before we think about how we reflect that as fathers, let's first think about this truth about God. That he will not always chide. He will not always berate or scold us. Do you view God as always disappointed in you? That he's always frustrated at you? I have to be honest. This is how I view God oftentimes. We said, uh, or I said earlier that we often, we make some observations and we make a whole lot of assumptions and that kind of rounds out our picture of God. For me, my heart always goes to a God who's just really disappointed in me. And I'm not sure why that is. I think I actually had a really good dad and he's very supportive and encouraging and all that. And maybe it's just my own guilt for my own sin that makes me view God this way. Because I think, well, gosh, I'm disappointed in me. I'm sure God's like super disappointed in me. But think about this. God, he will not always berate us. 
He will not always scold us, nor will he keep his anger forever. The most encouraging thing that anybody has ever told me personally has been what my dad said to me many years ago as a senior in high school. And I remember it to this day and the words carry as much weight for me today as they did then. I've received a lot of encouragement from a lot of people and I'm very thankful for that. But my dad's words to me carried a lot of weight. And dad's, mom's, your words to your children carry a lot of weight. Are you always chiding? Are you always scolding, berating your children? If that's you, you're not accurately reflecting the one you're called to reflect. I admit sometimes my kids have told me, I feel like you're always disappointed in me. I needed to hear that. Because that's not an accurate reflection. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. How in the world can God do this? Now, he sees our sin. So one of the things I just want to point out, that this acknowledges that there is sin, that we have sinned. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. God doesn't say like, ah, it's not a big deal. No, no, our sin is very real. So does God just not care about it very much? That he's just like, ah, I'm not going to treat you that way. It's no biggie. No, our sin costs the Son of God his life. God cares about our sin. But he has taken out his punishment toward that sin on Jesus. Now think about this. As you think about God, think about this. You've sinned a lot and you're aware of, we're maybe aware of 10% of the sins that we've done against God. As you grow more mature in your faith, you're probably aware of a little bit more. But think about this. God knows every way in which we would fail him. He knew everything that we were going to be way before we came onto the scene. And he still sent his son for you. That's how much God loves you. He doesn't love you a little bit. He doesn't regret his decision. Our God is full of love. It's a hair trigger. He doesn't have to be provoked to love you. He doesn't have to be reminded to love you. He is so full of love for you. And he's dealt with your sins. He's paid for it. Now, as we think about reflecting this, we need to remember your sins, your children's sins, your spouse's sins. Those have been paid for by Jesus on the cross. So what on earth are we doing trying to exact our pound of flesh from our beloved? What on earth are we doing? It's, it's like Jesus told the parable of the guy who had been forgiven so much. And yet he goes after, after he's forgiven that, he goes after someone who just owes him comparatively nothing. And starts choking him. Are we reflecting that kind of God to our family? Or are we reflecting the God of the Bible, the real God, the true God, Yahweh, the one who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? Real forgiveness is rare. True forgiveness is rare. 
I'm, and it shines like a light in a dark place. I remember my dad telling this story years ago uh, that he used to go duck hunting early in the morning. And, you know, way, way, way before the sun would come up, he'd get out to the spot, he'd put out the decoys, and he'd just sit and he would wait. And it was totally dark out, and across the lake, way away, he saw this brilliant bright light. And he thought, what in the world is that way over there? I, I don't know, is, is there like a, you know, some kind of parking lot over there, or some kind of huge security light system over there or something? And day after day, when he was hunting, he'd go and he'd see that light, and he thought, gosh, what is that? Like, I know the neighbors around there, I, I don't know what that is. So one morning, curiosity got the best of him. And he journeyed out around the other side of the lake. And as he went and he looked, he was looking for like a a sport court or some kind of huge light system. But instead what he saw is a small well house with a tiny light bulb inside of it. And the, the door to the well house was closed. And this tiny light was just shining some light through the little cracks. The light wasn't really that bright. It's just that the dark was so dark. Dads, moms, believers, followers of Jesus. We can reflect that. That forgiveness. That real forgiveness. And that will shine brightly in this world. It'll shine brightly in our families. It'll shine brightly for everybody to see. We need to remember that for better or worse, our children form their ideas of who God is, at least in part by watching us. Well, he goes on here in the last several verses. He says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. It's like David, the psalmist, is looking up and saying, like, how far do the heavens reach? Like, that's how big his love is for us. What I love about every reference like that in the Old Testament, you're like, you have no idea, David. You have no clue how big the universe is. Every space telescope we've got has just shown us the hugeness of the, of the universe. And he's saying, that's how big God's love is toward us. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As the father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God is not the reflection of your father. This is a hard day for some. It's a hard message for some. Because our dads, if we're honest, all of our dads are failures to one degree or another. I've, I've got a great dad. He's probably watching this. Happy Father's Day. But all of our fathers have fallen short of God's perfect standard. And what we need to do is we need to come back to who does God say that he is. Not just how did my dad portray him. In the last verse here, is he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God knows who you are. He sees you for who you really are. He knows your limitations. He knows your weakness. And he loves you the same. Do you see your children's limitations? Do you see your children's weakness? 
do we beat them up for not being, I, I don't mean physically, obviously that's, but like, do we, are we just so constantly disappointed in our kids for their limitations? Or do we understand them? Because as, as we look at the God of Scripture, He understands us. He understands us better than we understand ourselves. And He loves us the same. For better or worse, our children form their ideas of who God is by watching us. Uh, I'd love to recommend uh, to you a couple of books. Tim Betcher used to do this all the time, and I didn't hear him get any shade for it, so I'm going to do it too. Uh, Good and Angry, if you are struggling with anger, which uh, the second chapter of the book is my favorite chapter of maybe any book ever, because it says this, do you have an anger problem? Here's the chapter. Yes. <laughs> chapter three. Uh, so anyway, it's a very, very good book. Um, but one of, the, one of the books that I have found uh, has been profoundly helpful for me, and it is 0% a parenting book, but it helps me understand a little bit clearer picture of who God is. And that's this book, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. I actually have extra copies of both these books, um, and, and so they're free for use. Um, and in the, the last one here, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Delighting in the Trinity. Just a clear picture of who our God is. Now, why in the world am I talking about theology books on Father's Day? And that is this. Because we dads tend to reflect in our parenting who we actually believe God is. And our kids are looking to us to be a picture of what our God is like. So my, my closing slide here is this. Let's run daily to God's word to see him for who he really is. Rather than making a few observations and a lot of assumptions, let's let God define himself for who he really is. And let's listen to, the, to scripture as it will remind us and show us the beauty of the glorious love of the Trinity, not a mean, angry God who's just so disappointed in you. And when we see God for who he really is, we need to confess and repent where we're falling short. I believe that starts first with confessing to God, God, I have believed wrong things about you. And get right with him. And then confess it to your family. We're motivated by love. So stoke your love for God and I guarantee you will parent differently. It will change your marriage. It will change your relationships because our God is a relational God who wants to be known. And the more we come to see him for who he is, the more we can understand how we were made to be. And finally, we become what we behold. As we consider who God is, what he's like, or, or, you know, that can have a huge effect on us. Or maybe dads, moms, kids, maybe we're spending so much time beholding things that aren't God. We're spending so much time reflecting on things that uh, these things have captured our affections. Just know this. We become like what we behold. So let's make sure that we are looking at the right God of Scripture. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you today that you have spoken to us clearly through your word. And we want to see you for who you really are. We want to trust you for who you really are. And Lord, we want to 
see you change us. Lord, to see a generation or generations of fathers who engage with their kids, who reflect accurately what you are like. Lord, we want to do that. We want to be those people. We want to shine brightly in this dark world to accurately show what you are like. But we can't do it on our own. So Lord, we ask you by your spirit that you would come and change us. Make us imitators of God. That we would love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us, just like you. In Jesus' name, amen.